In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1, we catch the Apostle Paul in the act of boasting. He's bragging. And I would invite you to grab your Bible, a Bible, and go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, This is our text for the day. Paul is boasting. He says, the first line of chapter 12, I must go on boasting. And he's already been boasting back in chapter 11. He's been bragging about his ethnic identity. He says, I am a Jew or a Hebrew. I am an Israelite. I am a son, a child of Abraham. In other words, he's got the right pedigree. He's from the right bloodline, which would have been very important to the Jews that he is trying to convert to the Christian faith. We learn ultimately that kind of stuff is not important. Paul's been bragging about that. He's also been bragging about his sacrificial devotion to Christ. This takes up a pretty good chunk in this section of boasting in chapter 11. He talks about all that he's been through, all all that he has endured because of his faith in Christ. He talks about labors and imprisonments and beatings and shipwrecks and dangers here and dangers there. And he just goes through a long list of various hardships that he has faced because of his devotion to Christ. And then he gets into chapter 12, and he's about to keep boasting. But, it's not because he wants to. He doesn't want to boast. In fact, he's already said, he's already established, that boasting about yourself is foolish. And it doesn't amount to anything. He said back in chapter 11, verse 1, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. He talks about the foolishness of bragging or boasting about yourself in verses 16 and 17. And then again in verse 21, he talks about how he is speaking as a fool as he brags. This is not something that he wants to do. And so the question is, why is he doing it? Why is he boasting about his ethnic identity, his Jewish heritage? Why is he boasting about all the difficulties that he's had to go through as a Christian. Well, it's because his opponents did it. He had some rival teachers who came through Corinth after him who were challenging his legitimacy as a follower of Christ, as an apostle, and they were all about bragging and boasting and letting those Corinthians know all about their credentials. Paul calls them false apostles. He doesn't mince words when it comes to these guys. But because they had been boasting, Paul says, I'm going to boast too. The Corinthians ate it up. We know that the residents of Corinth had turned bragging or boasting almost into an art form. Archaeologists have found inscriptions all over ancient Corinth of people, of the residents bragging, the upper crust of society, bragging about how they had built this or that. They were all about boasting. And so they were eating it up when these false apostles, when these rivals or opponents of Paul were boasting about themselves. And so Paul comes along in this second letter that we have 
in our New Testament to the church at Corinth, and he's going to boast with a heavy dose of irony. Not to draw attention to himself, but to prove, to demonstrate the foolishness of boasting about oneself and how it doesn't amount to anything and how it is unbecoming of a follower of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 12, he's going to continue to boast. He boasts about another aspect of his life, even though he says here in verse 1, there is nothing to be gained by it, but I'm going to do it anyway because he's making a point. Let's read verses 1 through 4 here as Paul's bragging continues. He says in verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. What does that mean, the third heaven? It's not as difficult to understand as you might think just reading that. In the minds of Paul and others, there was the first heaven, earth's atmosphere where the birds would fly. There was the second heaven, the place where you would find the sun and the moon and the stars. And then there was the third heaven, the unseen realm where God dwells. And Paul here says, I was caught up into the very presence of God. And this is the only place that you will find a record of this vision of Paul. Right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's very interesting. He says, there's still a lot of mystery surrounding it. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows whether my whole body was taken up into the very presence of God or whether I was asleep and it was just my spirit. I don't know. God knows, but I don't. Verse 3, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise, the word for the place where God dwells, the word that Jesus uses on the cross. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. He repeats that. Verse 4, And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. The boasting continues. And you may say, reading that, well, it sounds like he's talking about someone else. Because he's using third person. He's saying he and what happened to him. But his use of third person here shows his own hesitancy to boast. This is undoubtedly an experience that Paul had. And if somebody came along claiming that this happened to them, we would think that they were kooky. But to the Corinthians, this would have added an extra level of authority to Paul. Uh, his opponents bragged about their ethnic identity and all they went through in preaching the gospel. And they also bragged about visions and revelations. So Paul says, I'm going to do that too because you guys are obviously impressed with this kind of stuff. So here I go. I don't want to do it. But you made me do it because I want to make a point. And in verse 5, we begin to turn a corner here. It's a turning point in the text. This is where Paul says, okay, enough with this silliness. Let's read verse 5. He says, on behalf of this man I will boast. He's talking about himself. But on my own behalf I will not boast except... Of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. I'm not going to boast, because this is not about me. And I don't want to make this about me. This is about God and His Son Jesus Christ and His glory. And boasting would make it about me. So I'm not going to boast. In fact, the only thing that I'd boast about, the only thing that I will boast about, are my weaknesses. 
And he's repeating what he's earlier said in chapter 11, verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show, that demonstrate my weakness. How weak I am. Now, I wonder what you think about boasting in your weaknesses. As a society, I think we like strong people. People who project strength. Not weak people. In fact, in our society, it's the weak that wind up getting neglected or worse, mistreated or at the very least, looked down upon. The unborn. On the other end of the age spectrum, the elderly. The handicapped. The immigrant, the refugee. The oppressed. The depressed. The people who are down and out, and downtrodden. There's a man I know, he's around my age. He's got a family like me. Over the last couple years, he has suffered with severe, debilitating pain. And it's affected his life, his relationships, his job. And he recently observed this. He says, my journey has taught me that our culture does not tolerate the weak. We equate being human with being powerful. And in this kind of society, the weak end up marginalized and ultimately dehumanized. You see, we like people who have it all together. We like people who are physically and mentally and emotionally healthy. People who are confident, who are attractive, successful. We like strong people. Well, Paul says, that ain't me. If you're looking for a strong person, that is not me. Yes, there may be things that I can boast about, but I've got plenty of weaknesses. And if I'm going to boast about anything, it's going to be about what makes me weak. In his first letter to this church, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, I believe I've got these verses up on the screen for you, Paul is calling to mind his very first visit to, to Corinth. The first time that I ever met you guys when I first rolled into town, he says, I want you to remember that I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Don't you remember when I got to town? I didn't come with eloquent sermons and I wasn't projecting strength and confidence. I came with my knees knocking together. I came in weakness. And then in our text, starting at verse 7, Paul says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. And this is an image for an observable sign of weakness in Paul, a thorn. A messenger of Satan, he calls it to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited and arrogant. And three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times I asked the Lord, rid this thorn from me. And a big question that has kept scholars and writers and just Christians in general busy is, what was the thorn? I wonder what it was. There's a lot of different thoughts out there. Could it have been grief? over 
the earlier persecution in the life of Paul? Because we know that before he became a preacher for the church, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a great enemy and adversary of God's people, the Christians. Is he still struggling with sorrow and grief over that? Is it anxiety? Is it sorrow over evangelism, over preaching the gospel, and over the fledgling churches that are in their infancy, that are just beginning? Paul has already admitted back in chapter 11, there is, apart from all these other dangers and persecutions, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul is concerned for all these Christians that he loves, that, are, that he's close to in all these various places that they will continue in the faith that they will grow in the faith that they will not be overcome by adversity maybe it's his own anxiety about evangelism and about all these baby christians maybe that's his thorn was it continuing temptation that he faced temptation to sin that we all face was it his opponents We've already talked about these rival figures that came through and questioned Paul and his apostleship and his ministry. Maybe they were the thorn. Was it a physical affliction? Was it poor eyesight, maybe? We know that Paul often had to get others to write his letters for him, maybe because of poor eyesight. Or was it his speech? We talked about how he came to Corinth not with eloquent words of wisdom. Maybe he had a problem with his speech, a speech impediment. We don't know what his thorn was. It could have been any of these things. And many of these things are things that we might deal with in our lives. We don't know what it was, but if it's any of these things or really anything else, it's not something that we would want to brag about. It's not something that you or I would be eager to boast about to our friends and neighbors. But Paul says, no, I will not just boast. I will gladly boast. Not about my Jewish pedigree, not about all my sufferings as a devoted follower of Christ, not about that incredible vision that I had 14 years ago, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. And just to be clear, when we talk about weaknesses, we are not talking about sinful habits or behaviors. Paul would certainly not advocate bragging about sin in your life. Now, we could talk about temptation to sin, but not the practice of sin. Sin is not something to brag about. It is something to repent of and then move on. So don't get confused here. When we talk about our weaknesses, we're not talking about practicing sin. Paul says, he's talking about something different. He says, I'm not going to brag about the things that the world might think are impressive. I'm going to brag about the things that make me look weak. As he says back in 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Let me read this thought in its entirety. He says, I was with you in weakness and fear when I first got there, and much trembling in my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but they were in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If I had come in there and you were impressed with me personally, then I might have gathered a following about myself, and you wouldn't have glorified God you would have begun to be impressed with me. And that's not what it's about. And so I didn't come to you with displays of strength because this whole project is not about gathering a following around me. It's not about my glory. It's about God's glory. 
And he says here, I will gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says this. He's learned a lesson. And it's a lesson that we should learn as well. Paul has learned that God can use his weaknesses to showcase the power of his Lord. Paul says, I've learned God can use my shortcomings, my limitations, my weaknesses to showcase the power of Christ. My weakness is the appropriate platform for demonstrating the power of Jesus Christ. But in contrast to Paul, we, we like to brag about our strengths. And we may not do it as overtly as the folks in ancient Corinth who would inscribe their name, give themselves the credit for funding building projects. We're going to be a little more subtle about it, I think, for the most part. There's some people in our culture who are very open and brazen in their self-praise and in bragging. But I think on the whole, our culture values humility and modesty. And so even if we aren't humble, we're going to at least try to convince people that we are. And any kind of bragging that we do is going to be kind of sneaky. In fact, we have a name for it. It's called a humble brag. You're going to project humility. You're going to pretend like you're humble, but you're going to sneak in something that you intend to impress someone else with about your life. We don't want to brag about what makes us appear weak. We want to brag about what makes us look impressive and strong, what it is that we're good at, our talents and our abilities and our wealth and our family. We like to disguise our weaknesses. Any imperfections that we have, we try to mask those. In fact, we spend a lot of time, we work hard to make ourselves appear more competent. Like we have it all together. We don't want people to see our imperfections and our weaknesses. Paul says, those are the very things that I will boast about because that's when I am most available to God for His power, for the power of Christ to be demonstrated, to be shown through me. When Paul requests thorn removal, when he asks God three times, please take this away from me, God says to him directly, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I'm afraid that we don't believe God when he says that. I'm afraid that I don't. Because I am very apprehensive about revealing the various ways that I'm weak. So I guess that means I don't really believe that it is through my weakness that God can do some of His best work in showing forth the glory and the power of His Son, Jesus Christ. God says, in your weakness, Paul, 
That is when my power is made whole, complete, perfect. So what we learn from Paul here is weaknesses are not liabilities. They are opportunities for God to powerfully work through us. And Paul concludes this section with verse 10. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. And he says, not only am I content with these things, I'll brag about them. I'll brag about the various ways that my life is hard. I'll brag about the insults that I have received because of my faith. I'll brag about the ways I've been persecuted for standing up for Christ. I'll brag about the calamities and the tragedies and the heartache in my life. Because when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. On September 6th, 2018, a Dallas, Texas police officer named Amber Geiger was returning home to her apartment complex after a long shift. Her apartment was on the third floor, but she mistakenly went to the fourth floor where she found ajar the door to the apartment that she thought was hers. She pushed the door open and she was startled to see the silhouette of a man inside the dark apartment. She claims that she issued verbal commands that went unheeded, and then she fired two shots, hitting the man once in the torso. This man died shortly thereafter in a local hospital. The man's name was Botham Jean, and what many of you may know by now is that he is your brother in Christ. He graduated from Harding University, and he was a member at the time of his death and a worship leader at the Dallas West Church of Christ. Well, last Tuesday, Geiger was found guilty of murder. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison the very next day. During the sentencing, Botham John's younger brother, Grant, gave what's called a victim impact statement. And what he did and said in that courtroom has spread across the globe like wildfire. In fact, I'm certain many of you have watched the video of his statement. Addressing the murderer of his brother, he spoke these words. He said this, If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself and not on behalf of my family, but... I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I personally want the best for you. And I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's exactly what Botham would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. And then he said this. I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? Please. The judge said, yes. And the two embraced tightly for several moments. 
And if you haven't watched this video, you really ought to go home and watch it this afternoon. I shared it on my Facebook wall earlier in the week. And I dare you to watch it to the end without shedding a tear. In the midst of a season of great weakness for this family, a season of heartache and loss and grief and anger, God proclaimed the power of the gospel. A gospel sermon was preached in that courtroom that was heard from sea to shining sea and beyond. All sorts of people were sharing this video in which Christ was proclaimed. Media figures and celebrities and sports personalities and religious leaders, they were all sharing the same video. I saw it on TV, on national TV. The name of Jesus Christ extolled before the whole nation. That sermon reached more people than any of my sermons or any of your sermons will ever reach in a season of great weakness and heartache. Forgiveness was extended. And it's shocking. When you watch this video, there is an audible gasp in the courtroom when he asks to hug his brother's murderer. The grace extended is radical. Breathtaking. The power of forgiveness was shown through the weakness of intense grief. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So don't be ashamed of your weaknesses. Don't pretend that they don't exist. If you pretend that you're, you don't have any weaknesses, you are depriving the Lord a chance, an opportunity to work mightily through you. What sort of awesome work can be done through you for the glory of Christ if only you would just humble yourself, drop the facade, and let people know that you have flaws and weaknesses and imperfections. In fact, Paul even says, you can brag about those weaknesses. Because it's in them, it's through them that Christ's power is most evident in your life. Listen, we are all here because we all need the power of Christ to rest on us. That's why we have chosen on a Sunday morning when we could be doing many other things to be sitting in these pews because we are here to proclaim to the world, I am helpless without my Lord. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Lord, for another day, for another week, would you hold me with your powerful hand? This morning you can come and you can rest on the power of your God. You can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're struggling in any way, you can ask for the prayers of this body. If you'd like to meet privately with a couple of our elders, that is available to you in a conference room down this hall, you can be shown where that is, if that is a desire that you have. We don't want to leave this building spiritually unhealthy. We want to leave here whole and complete and healed. And so if there are any spiritual needs in the house this morning, why don't you come and make those known as we stand and sing.